start. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Did You Hear podcast, proudly a part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Patrick Zhang, and we have some really awesome content for you guys today. I mean, this weekend, first of all, with the D-hop catch, Pat, are you kidding? <laughs> my roommate is still reeling from it as a diehard Buffalo Bills fan, but oh my god, oh. what a way for Sunday to go. So we had that, we had the Masters, which we'll center around today. We have the 2020 NBA draft tonight. We have college basketball starting in a week. I mean, it's it's endless. Again, so many things. Uh, NBA free agency, excuse me, my gosh, I almost forgot about that. I feel like I've been glued to my phone for 24 hours a day, just waiting for another thing to drop. Theo Epstein re- resigned. That was big yesterday. So he yeah. says it's going to take a year off, but with Theo, who knows? Exactly. I mean, he yeah, he was he broke the curse for the Red Sox and the Cubs, so he's already a Hall of Fame. Executive. Come to New York, Theo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're so excited to bring you episode three. Some big news for us at the podcast: we just went live on Apple Podcasts. So make sure you are subscribing, rating, and reviewing there. We are also still on Spotify to download. Make sure to follow us on our socials, Instagram and Twitter, at DidYouHearPod. Uh, we're going to be creating some content there for you to engage with, so make sure you're reaching out to us, telling us what you like, telling us what you want us to talk about. We really want to make this as interactive as possible. But let's get right into it. Pat, what do we got today? Yeah, so we are going to start and center around the Masters, as you said. And so 2020, obviously, we know has been a a crazy year, been a bad year in, in many ways. But for golf, it's been the year of Dustin Johnson. So I can't say I'm shocked to see him walk away with this Masters in 2020, he has four wins. Um, yes, we're into the 2021 season, but we'll go with the the calendar year. Uh, just in the last three months, he's made over 18 million dollars from uh, from purses from winning the uh, the Tour Championship. He at East Lake, he won the Northern Trust um, Open and uh, a second place finish at the PGA. So a fantastic stretch for him. And he really, he just dominated as, a, as we go into the Masters. He's the fourth golfer in the last 50 years to win by at least five strokes. That's the largest margin since Tiger had won by 12 in 1997. And for him too, what's really, really important to look at is that he exercised some demons uh, coming away on Sunday. He's a fifth golfer in the last 50 years to win the Masters after a second place finish. Uh, the year before, the last to do that was Jordan Spieth in 2015. And for that, the biggest thing for him is that he finished. And that's something that Dustin Johnson, who has been an incredible golfer throughout his career, definitely ups and downs, but he's probably going to end up as a PGA Hall of Famer. This was his first, his first major win when leading after 54 holes. It's this <laughs> it's crazy to think about. This is the first time he actually closed it out after having a lead um on Saturday going into Sunday. And most famously, you know, when he choked in 2015 at Chambers Bay for the for the US Open. This was a big moment for him. It really was. It established his spot at kind of the, in the pantheon of golfers for the PGA. This has been a great year for him and he came away with some dominance at Augusta. Yeah, dominance is literally the only word to describe it and he's I mean Going into this, you said it. He has, he the, the last 
six, uh, like major, not even majors, just the wins that he has. First, second, the lowest he's placed is sixth. He has two majors now, 25 victories in the last seven starts. That's what it was. The only other finish besides first and second was sixth place. And to come out and to close finally, like you said, this is what DJ needed under his belt. He had been 0-4 in majors when leading after that third round. And I think the best part was that he got off to a little bit of a shaky start. So all of a sudden those doubts are playing in your head. You say Abraham answer, just completely choke on the last day too. He was a young guy. But DJ didn't let himself go down that path. He had a couple bogeys, and then he completely got back on track. And going through the numbers, finding the research that with this was just so amazing because of how dominant he was. So the five-shot margin, he had four bogeys across the four days. That's the fewest ever by a Masters champion. And now his resume at Augusta National is so pristine, he's played 11 straight rounds under par. So without the win, that would have been incredibly impressive. And there are so many other players in this, in this Masters who, who did play incredibly and who broke so many records like Cameron Smith and Sung J.M. But DJ was literally pristine. He never trailed. After any round, he became the 12th Masters champion to do that. And he finished with a, a, a five-shot lead. And that just doesn't happen. And it's such a, an, it's so emblematic of DJ's 2020. You're right. The endorsement should come in. He should reign as the number one because it certainly looks like nobody can stop him right now. Yeah, he really was phenomenal. I mean, 20 under. Uh, for for the tournament breaks a master's scoring record so I can't I don't think you can get much more dominant than that and I just I think overall like like you were kind of saying with the young guys golf is just in a really healthy spot right now Um, I mean you look at it and guys like Bryson Phil and and Tiger were were pretty much out of it for the for the whole weekend and it didn't matter because you've got those young guns I'm personally a massive Abraham answer fan I think he's a, a really really solid up-and-coming golfer at 29 years old I mean he's made the cut in all five events in 2021 um, and he's played really well other than a disaster at winged foot but you know winged foot is a monster <laughs> for that US Open I mean Matt Wolf one of the be- better um, up-and-comers missed the cut Matt Kuchar missed the cut Henrik Stenson missed the cut like a bunch of bigger guys missed the cut and it didn't matter like no. Saturday and Sunday was fantastic for for this Masters. Even though it, I mean, yes, Sanjay M got it to within one at uh, on going into that six T uh, on Sunday, which made you worry a little bit. But it always kind of felt like Dustin Johnson had this thing, um, and he you know, obviously did extend that lead. But just the the player that I want to look at, and what I'll go with my did you hear because I, I really think that's got so much potential is Sanjay M. So my did you hear is that Sanjay M converted nine out of 40 par fours into birdies which is 23 percent, and that led the field wow so m at 22 years old a a true up-and-comer someone that i think has a ton of potential to really break in he's already playing as one of the better golfers in the world i i just have to say god i love his swing with the slow motion bring Mm -hmm. back um it's 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 awesome to watch and especially his short game is incredible it felt like every single time he was around the green and chipping. He put it spot on within five feet. 
I mean, it was just so, some unreal short game from him. And so Sanjay M, absolutely a player I want to watch. Obviously, all the accolades are going to go to Dustin Johnson, as deserved as we've gone through a million numbers to show you how impressive this Masters win was for DJ. But M is definitely someone you want to look at going forward. Yeah, and he's our age. And the composer, composure he has in these big moments is incredible. He's the third youngest player to finish in the top five. And he also broke the record at 15 under for the best score for a first-timer in the major. So another, I mean, so him and Cameron Smith, I'm sure you've seen this stat about Cameron Smith too. All four rounds were in the 60s. That's the first time that's happened in majors history. Cameron Smith was spot on, and he ended up finishing tied for second place because DJ was even better. So Smith and M, they combined had a 15 under 273, which was five shots behind DJ. That was the lowest score ever for a player who didn't win the Masters. So if DJ hadn't been a part of this competition, Sungjae Im, the 22, 23-year-old first-timer, could have really ran away with, with this Masters win. And that would have, I mean, it, it's incredible anyway for his resume. But thinking about how good he really was, I mean, it, it was overshadowed by DJ. But Smith and M were really, really good. And the other thing I wanted to say about golf, COVID has helped golf ratings soar. That was what people were watching. You saw it with the match months ago, the most ever highest watched golf match ever. And I think it's just resurging a little bit. You have a lot of young guys. You have a lot of international guys. And people aren't relying on Tiger, Phil, coach all those guys like you said we've got some young insurgents really rising through the ranks no i completely agree and as you said well a lot of sports viewership has kind of fallen off a little bit over this pandemic golf has done really well and it has has held strong and i do think that's a testament to like what you said is that they're really spread out kind of across the world with just top class golfers like i said you know what m is south korean cameron cameron smith's australian Obviously, you've got Rory from from Northern Ireland that was up there towards the top of the uh, top of the leaderboard there at 11 under. Which honestly, it was good to see Rory kind of make a charge at the Masters because Augusta has been not great <laughs> for Rory in the past. Still doesn't have a Masters title. If he had done better on the back nine, I thought he could have made a run at it. He he definitely could. I mean, what cost him was that he shot five over on on Thursday, right? You know, a 75, right? And, even to come back from that, I was I was floored. Oh, absolutely! I thought he was done after yeah. Thursday. So kind of big to see McElroy fight back. And then Brooks Kepka, you know, definitely the the guy to look at in golf. You know, him and Dustin Johnson kind of the two dominant forces, I'd say, in golf. Kepka coming off a ton of injuries this year. I didn't think I thought he was going to struggle to make the cut. He finished in <laughs> 10 under. Yeah. So just superhuman there from from Brooks. There are so many talented golfers out there, so many younger golfers out there that you know, listen, it's gotten pressed before that this isn't the Tiger era now of like the early 2000s where it was all centered around him and that there were, oh, there are some good young up and comers. That is what this is now. Golf is, there are a bunch of guys that can win any given tournament, but you still have those kind of now dominant guys, Dustin Johnson being at the top of that list. Yeah. And the coverage is still all about Tiger. I mean, the poor guy, like he can't ever escape the features on sports center and all that and nobody expected him to come back and win this thing and be a repeat champion but 
he played really, really well. And it, it, it's just something about Augusta that brings it out of Tiger, who, speaking of injuries, has dealt with them all season long. He's just not in the routine because he has so many back problems that he can't play at a consistent level. So that's his biggest problem. But, of course, people will remember from this the 10 on that hole where he just kept finding the water time after time after time. But that 10, it was the only double-digit score of his pro career. He had once had a career-worst nine on Muirfield Village Golf Club during the 97 season. But this, this stat really blew me away. In 89 previous master rounds, Tiger only had worse than a bogey just three times. He had two doubles and a triple. In all of the times he's played the Masters, is that like 20 years, 20 plus years, he's been so dominant there. Really a bummer that he had to go make that 10. He just couldn't couldn't escape the water. But he then finished with four straight birdies at the end. So he it was a it was a roller coaster ride for Tiger, but I ended up being very impressed by his again, composure is the name of the game for Tiger. But for him to finish like that, I was very impressed. Yeah, and you nailed it because that's exactly where I was going to go. Even though he put up the 10 on 12, he still shot a 76. Yeah. Which, all things considering after shooting a 10, not bad. Um, so Imagine impre- where he would have been if he d- didn't have the 10. Exactly. It could have literally, it could have been top 10. It, no, you, you're completely right. So I, I think this was an impressive showing from Tiger. I mean, he even talked about in, you know, March, April that... Uh, when the Masters normally is that his body was already just he could feel it getting back into tune like he should be at Augusta. So you you know that this tournament is really special to him and this he loves to perform there. Um, you know, after a first round 68, I think he definitely had some people dreaming that he mm-hmm. could go back to back. I can't say I was one of those people because it just never felt like he was going to be able to overcome this group of golfers. Um, but I think that's a really good sign from him that he finished that strongly after kind of such a disaster. Um, and it should only bode well in the future for him. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, the last person I want to talk about who was really Please do. catching all the headlines before is Bryson DeChambeau. So everybody knows him as the golfer who gained a ton of weight. He's absolutely mashing the ball. He went into Augusta saying he's going to play this as a par 67 course which is five shots under what the actual par is. So I, it's like, uh, it's like when all the people in the booth on Sunday night football, pick the same game, pick the same winner for the game. And then you just know it's going to be bad. That, that was the feeling I had with Bryson. You can't go in that confident and expect to do well. He has had a lot of success this season, but the Masters was not one of those times of success. So I want to set the scene a little bit before I tell you my did you hear, Pat. So this season, DeChambeau is averaging 344 yards off the tee. So that's thanks to his his diet regimen, his weightlifting. He's super transparent about the science behind hitting the golf ball, which is really interesting. It's giving a lot of 
accessibility into the minds of a the mind of a golfer, which is yeah, cool. And, and don't forget how high he tees that ball up off the tee. That right. no one no one does that. So no. he puts he puts a lot of science and numbers into how he uh, how he lines up, and it's definitely been paid off for him. Other than Augusta, <laughs> yeah, it's far and away he's hitting it farther than anyone has. He also thought about using the forty eight inch driver, which would have been the highest, the longest anyone has ever used. So three forty four yards in twenty twenty. That's 22 more than the yards he averaged last season, which was 20 yards more than he averaged the year before that. So over a 40-yard difference off the tee in the past two seasons. Over the last 12 months, he's the only PGA Tour player who averages over a stroke gained per round. He has 1.3 strokes gained. No other golfer has more than one. So he is bounds ahead all of these people in in terms of stealing shots because he hits it so far off the tee. In the most recent event before Augusta, he averaged 363 yards off the tee. So this is all using the driver. So that's my background here. At Augusta, DeChambeau finished two under, 268. Just the mixed bag of shots that he's bringing in. On Sunday, he had two birdies, he had an eagle, he had a double bogey, and then he had three more bogeys. So we can get into his style. I personally think he's just taking too many risks and it's bringing too many inconsistent results. But but thinking about simply his yards off the tee and his two underscore, Pat, did you hear that Bernhard Langer shot one better than Bryson and he only averaged 250 yards off the tee? So Bryson led the field in driving <laughs> distance at the Masters with over 324 average yards per drive. Bernhard Langer shot one better than DeChambeau and he averaged 250 yards off the tee, which was last in the field. <laughs> so it just wasn't working for DeChambeau this weekend. It didn't matter how far he was driving it off the tee. He couldn't convert. And Bernhard Lang- Langer, excuse me, who was the oldest player ever to play at a, in a was it the Masters? Was it a major? I don't, to uh, to sure. make the cut. Make the cut at the to Masters. To make the cut. And he shot better than Bryson DeChambeau. No, you are you're a hundred percent right. And I what I find really funny is so he started his career in nineteen seventy two, Bernard Langer. Uh, he won a major in uh, nineteen eighty five was his first one, which was the Masters. At ninety three was uh, his second Masters. And what it, what it really showed was that you don't really overpower Augusta like like Bryson tried to do. Even Dustin Johnson, someone known for hitting it long, played a little smarter than Dustin Johnson usually does. And didn't just go for it every single time. Bryson just stepped in. Was the, the, that's the I'm I'm a DeChambeau fan. I love what Bryson's done for the game. I think it makes it really interesting. And if anything, it gives us a talking point every single week about golf, which is very cool. But he was he's just so stubborn that he couldn't wrap his head around adjusting to Augusta. It's just it's a different golf course. You're not just gonna blast it down the fairway and end up getting a two on every five or four, par five or par four. It's just, it's not how it's going to work. And and that's what he tried to do. So it, for Bryson, you hope that he takes this as a little bit of a learning experience and says, okay, I have my strategy. I'm better than everyone else off the tee distance wise, but let me just morph this a little bit. Let me adjust a little bit. 
And then the potential on DeChambeau is insane. But when he just sticks to the one strategy, I mean, you saw how many balls did he lose? That's what I mean. This week. I mean, the, my favorite quote of the week was when they had, the reporters asked John Rahm if he was a part of finding, you know, DeChambeau's ball. Mm-hmm. And, and Rahm responded, which one? Yeah. Like, it, it just... So th- that's it on DeChambeau and on Langer. Like, you just have to give him props. Just... Yeah. He, he played it smart. He played it short. He hit the shots he needed to. Uh, like I said, oldest player to ever make the cut. Started his career in the 1970s. Like, uh, really cool to see. Um, yeah, and so. his, his son is his caddy. It's it's a cool It's cool a fun story. story. There. It's a yeah. fun... It's definitely a fun story. Yeah, but I, I completely agree with what you're saying about DeChambeau just being too stubborn. It's like he's not giving enough respect and credit to the course to adjust and again you might put an asterisk around this one because he said he wasn't feeling well he was dizzy he just felt like he wasn't all the way there he got the covid test it was negative people gave him a lot of crap for that i wasn't super critical about it if he wasn't feeling well i I think that does obviously change things a lot but bottom line no matter what i just think this style is too inconsistent to yield consistent like it's it's not bringing him consistent results you can win the u.s open every other year or you can win a random start every year but if it's not going to pan out when it really matters then i think he has to make some changes and it's great that he's hitting the ball further than anyone else has but there are other parts of the game that are just as important so i think it's he's monopolizing it a little bit and not saying that he's not paying enough attention to the other parts, but he has to still make adjustments on that side because driving isn't everything. No, you're you're 100% right. So what'll be interesting here is that he did say that he's going to take some time off now and so probably won't play until January when yeah. uh, the, the tournament's out in Hawaii, so mid-January, which I think will probably be a good thing for him. But like you said, it's not all about driving. I mean, he's 60th in uh, on the tour in putting, right now which we know how important putting is to try to save strokes um like he's you know 130th in fairways hit for driving accuracy which means yeah he's gonna bomb it but there's no guarantee it's going on the fairway (laughs) which which as a golfer or anywhere close to the fairway exactly which as a golfer and a very bad one i can tell you that if you're not on the fairway it's gonna be a lot harder for you (laughs) um so with bryson like i I think he's got potential to wow people as he has done. I think he's got potential to win a lot of tournaments, but I do not think that as many people talked about, you're going to see this kind of usher in an age of dominance for Bryson. I don't see it unless he starts adjusting and tries to play a little safer. Yeah. Again, I think it's really cool that he's so transparent about all of his ideas. And I think his whole, you know, the the gaining weight regiment i think it's helping him and his game compared to where he was a few years ago i really do but there just have to be some tweaks because driving it 400 yards off the tee if it's 25 yards to the right isn't isn't going to help his game as much as it you see it with bernhard langer like you could have three shots and then par it just as easily as as dechambeau could um this, I think a, a holistic stat to, to end this, the Masters part of what we'll talk about today, the average score for the Masters week was 71.75, the lowest ever, which broke the record from last year. So just talk about all these players are getting better as a group 
and it's making for some really, really good golf. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I do think that that's kind of interesting to look at here. So you did see records get broken this week at Augusta, obviously. As we said, Dustin Johnson with the 20 under, Cameron Smith with the four rounds in the 60s, uh, you know, Sunjin Im and um, and Cameron Smith both at 15 under, high, lowest score ever for, for runners up. Maybe the course is a little easier in November <laughs> than it is in April, which is an interesting thing to look at. Because um, I know, uh, you know, a lot of the the focus going in was how does Augusta look and how does Augusta play, you know, six, seven months later than, than when it normally is. And uh, apparently it plays easier. <laughs> and the golfers, I think it was definitely a combination of just some fantastic golf from a multitude uh, of different contestants. But um, I do think that that uh, played a little bit of a role. Yeah, and the weather wasn't nearly as bad as people thought it was going to be. No, no, it only really rained on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's something interesting to think about too. Hopefully, as the months go on, we get back to that more normal schedule, and you see it with other sports too. But again, huge props to the Masters for pulling this off because everything worked out perfectly for them. That's well. That, that's the biggest thing is that we're yeah. still in this year and this crazy year. <laughs> we uh, we still got a Masters, even even that it had to get moved to November. You know, props to the to the, everyone that working with the Masters down mm-hmm. there to be able to get this thing moved to pull it off. Successful tournament. You know, no COVID positive tests as we've seen, and then the next major to be played in golf is the 2021 Masters because <laughs> they're still playing. They're shooting to play it in April. So, um, will not be a, a prolonged time where Dustin Johnson can say he's a master's champion unless he goes back to back in a span of of six months. So we'll definitely be uh, interesting to watch there. At this point, you never know the number one player in the world wins the masters. That's also the first time that's happened since woods in 2002, but Johnson is earning his stature as the number one player in the world. And he had a really cool speech afterwards. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Very nice to see how much it means to him. Yeah. Um, but, but like I said, after going through all those stats for Dustin Johnson this year, I'm not sure I'd want to bet against him in Me 2021. Neither. Me neither. Okay, shall we move on to the 2020 NBA draft? Let's do it. So very exciting for tonight. NBA draft uh, does commence. Uh, and then NBA free agency follows in... Um, in two days, actually, on, on November 20th at 6 p.m. So my stat of the week going into this to kind of sum up this draft is 27. And 27 is the three-point percentage combined, or average, I should say, between LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, the two top guards projected to go in this draft. So why does that matter? Because it kind of shows how much of a toss-up this entire draft is. I mean, we know what the NBA is. At this point, it is a spread three-point shooting league that moves very, very quickly. And the top guards, you know, the the premium position kind of in today's NBA, aren't very good shooters. So that will be very interesting to watch what happens there. I mean, you look at it, the, the, the other most talented guy is a center in James Wiseman Center. We've talked about how that position has really been devalued. And it just, it makes things really intriguing tonight. So I I do think that this is the draft out of any draft where if you have potential to go and trade for a star player, you pull the trigger and you trade those draft picks this year, especially up high. I think there is some potential for some value in the the later picks tonight. But if you're going to use a premium asset one of these guys, there is no guarantee that they hit. I mean, there are some some players that I do really like, but they're rated a little lower. I will say the one that I'm in love with is Obi Toppin 
mm. from uh, from Dayton. Now, he's not the best defender in the world. That is something that absolutely needs to be worked on. But you look at all the physical skills of this guy. He can. He's probably going to be, I'm not sure he can be a three. He's definitely a four. And if you want to play a little small, well, not a little. If you want to play smaller, you can play him as a real stretch five. But I mean, his athleticism is unreal. He's the national player of the year. And then the other thing, as we just focus on three-point shooting, as a four, he shot 39% from three. Like, he is phenomenal. Um, you've got Isaac Okoro out of Auburn, another guy that I really, really like. Two-way player, um, is a really strong defender, still very young, still filling out there as, as a one-and-done at Auburn, but someone that I think has potential from going anywhere from kind of five to 12 uh, in this draft, but someone I absolutely want to look at. And then again with guards, I mean, uh, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, someone definitely to watch. I think he absolutely will go top 10. Knicks are ch- have a chance to get him if he's still there. Um, you've got Chicago might go with him unless LaMelo Ball is, is still on the board. So th- there's some interesting potential for him there at guard. But whew, man, it's it's tough to really nail this draft down. It really is. And Pat and I were talking before we started recording. I've had to stop reading you know, NBA draft 6.0 because now I'm seeing James Wiseman fall to the 12th pick. Yeah, it's not happening. And Obi Toppin falling out of the top 10. And you just, you really can't wrap your head around it. So the first thing I want to say, that stat is unbelievable. And Obi Toppin is shooting better than LaMelo. Than the guards. Yeah, by far. LaMelo, I think, I believe LaMelo is at 25%. And that's against, you know, not top competition. We never got to see him in college. So I know LaMelo is the one that, you know, a lot of people are really intrigued by. I have a really hard time buying in for a kid that has never, ever played defense and struggles to shoot threes and has never played against top competition since he never went to, you know, American college, went overseas, went to Lithuania, which was disaster. I mean, at least the Australian league's got a little bit uh, of talent in there and is harder, but I have a hard time handing my keys to the franchise to LaMelo Ball. And then I think Anthony Edwards was at 29%. Really athletic, can create shots for himself, but struggles to knock him down. Yeah, you don't have any bonafide stars. No. Which is what we've been seeing a lot over the past couple of years. Even the top three last year were bonafide stars. But I think I'm so curious, and I think about this a lot, just wondering if we had had March Madness and if Obi Toppin had had, you know, gone out and helped Dayton win a championship, what would that done have done to his draft stock? Oh, that's a great we just point. got such a condensed season. Even Sadiq Bay, I think he. We, we'll talk about him more definitely. Oh but yes, his draft stock could have risen. He's anywhere, honestly, from like ten to twenty. I think you could say his range is right now twelve to twenty, maybe, but. I'm I'm also curious to see how many trades there will be because for a team like the Warriors who is in a win now mode, are they going to go out and spend their pick on Wiseman who very well could be their star of the future or do they save those picks and I don't think the the Giannis trade is happening anymore which we'll also get into, but there are just so many question marks and if there's one thing executives don't like in the draft It's question marks. They don't want to take a risk on these guys who either haven't played. I mean, I mean the the Lithuania league is different. So haven't played in the the college system of what that competition is. Haven't played in the high 
pressure situations, which is what March Madness provides, mm. don't have good, gr- great shooting numbers, don't play great defense, that's tough. That's too many question marks to spend a top five pick on. So I, I like a bunch of the guys you said. Um, Denny Avdia from Israel, player. Interesting I player. Yes, Israel. Yeah, interesting, interesting player to player. watch. What's not his... fair is that he's compared to Luka Doncic. And yeah, that's, that's, that's not just not happen. fair to him. No, but a lot of these guys can stretch the floor. I think they there could be a lot of high-impact players. But let's talk about Sadiq Bey because I really think him going between 15 and 20 is too low for it me. Is. And I think one of his greatest aspect, one of the greatest aspects of his player profile is obviously that three-point percentage, which was fourth best in the NCAA this year. But it's the championship pedigree. And this is what the Villanova program provides. He is going to go on the floor and make things happen just because he's been in this super impressive collegiate program. And that translates. You saw it with Eric Paschal last year. The Villanova experience just translates in the NBA. No, it, it definitely does. I think that's been a, a great job by Villanova over the past couple of years to kind of change the narrative. Because remember, first it was Villanova doesn't produce NBA guys. Like, what? They're a great college yeah. program, but no one translates to the NBA. And now you look at it and it's like Josh Hart is a solid player down in New Orleans. Pascal did well out in Golden State. Jalen Brunson is an important piece of Dallas down there. And they struggled when she went down with the shoulder injury. Um, in the bubble, Dante DiVincenzo just got shipped to Sacramento. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But for Bay, just for backstory for people that don't don't really know too much about him too, the most impressive part about Sadiq Bay's rise over the last two years is that he was supposed to be a red shirt his freshman year. The coaching staff did not plan for him to be a part of the team, and he impressed them so much over the summer that he basically came in, started right away, and turned out to be one of the team's better players and was the team's best player last year. So from potential redshirt to starting 60 out of 67 games in two years and being the most key player for them is incredible. Uh, Again, we talk about today's NBA being about spacing the floor. Shot 45%, 45 from three. Is also a solid rebounder coming in around five per game. I mean, Bay is a player that, of course, is there a little bias? Yes, but I absolutely love, and I think that he's got potential to really make an impact. I think that he really starts to come and play at 10, and I will be shocked if he is still available past 15. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've seen the Celtics, the Kings, I don't even, I mean, literally every single team. Phoenix would be really interesting to especially pair him with Mikael Bridges, which would be great for a Villanova thing, but for them to add another winger and someone that can shoot the three. San Antonio feels too perfect with Popovich down there with such a fundamental player. New Orleans would be, Mm -hmm. that's the, that's the, it's Phoenix or New Orleans for me are the two best scenarios for him to go into Phoenix now after the big trade that that they pulled off this week for Chris Paul. Um, And then New Orleans, I mean, if you're telling me that they're going to try to space the floor, you obviously with Zion, you've got Brandon Ingram, and then you add in a real three-point threat there with Bay that can also crash the boards. Yeah, that it's just it's perfect there. So I I, I will be shocked if he's um, on the board past fifteen, and I really think that that kind of ten to fourteen is his sweet spot. Unless someone yeah. wants to reach in the top ten, which I don't think you'll see, but we'll leave it up to uh, to a possibility. Yeah, I definitely don't think that would be a mistake. But no, you, you don't really see him. If going. someone falls in love with him, yeah. it can happen. Yeah, totally. Um, I think some really interesting teams to watch 
again, the Warriors and whether they're going to keep that pick. I can't believe they still have that pick. Yeah, I thought it was a goner. Again, it's been a really slow-moving draft, you know, coming up to this because you would think there would be three trades, over three trades at this point. Yeah, they had that roster freeze in place for so long. It finally came out of effect on Monday and you thought you were just going to see a flurry of action. And we've only seen a couple trades. Yeah, and they've been big trades. Yes, so yes, they have, which we'll get to in a second. Them. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but from the draft perspective, in, ter- in terms of those really high picks, otherwise you see the 24, 24th pick, the eighteenth pick, this draft that, that's less important than than that top ten. But let's just go quickly through our top three because it does again not the top three that we saw last year, but Anthony Edwards from Georgia. James Wiseman, who had the whole Memphis scandal, and then LaMelo Ball. I I actually see it going in that order. I think Edwards to Minnesota. I would like to see Golden State get rid of their pick, but I if they do keep it, I think they take Wiseman because they need somebody around the rim, and he fills that need. And I think LaMelo Ball to the Hornets to give them more of that guard presence, which they really – I mean, they have Terry Rozier. That's pretty much it in terms of depth there. Yeah, I I hate to to just completely agree with you, but I kind of think this is how it goes for Minnesota. I'm not sure how you can roll the dice with anyone other than Edwards because while he did you know only shoot the 29%, he's the guy that I think has the highest potential to be something in this draft class. Now, again, I'm not sold on him at all, but if you're rolling the dice here, I think he's the one you take a shot on. Golden State, it just feels like, you know, if they can if they can get a really good, you know, defender in with Wiseman, it makes them more intriguing. I still think that they should try to trade that pick for anything they can get for it. But if they're going to make the pick, I get it. Wiseman's still hard to project because he played three games in college and then left Memphis. Yeah, so, there's just so many question marks. Ex- exactly, so difficult. And then to, as you talk about question marks, that is, in my mind, that is all LaMelo Ball is, are, are just a bunch of question marks. So, But I, I, it's kind of how I think this thing breaks out. I mean, I think that Obi Toppin will be the guy that I say, if a team falls in love with, can go higher and, and can absolutely go top five. But I do think you go, it ends up Edwards, uh, Wiseman, Ball. Yeah, and there have been a ton of reports that have Ball going number one to the Timberwolves. I, yes, I've seen that as well. So, so we'll, that would be we'll... him and D'Lo and Cat. That would be interesting too. Oh, yes, it would. <laughs> yeah. But can we move to uh, NBA free agency? Let's do it. All right. So this is, I mean, we talked about the MLB offseason and the way that that is going to unfold versus the way the NBA free agency unfolds is complete opposite to one another. So again, that, that moratorium was lifted. So free agents can start negotiating deals for real this Friday at 6 p.m. and then sign on Sunday at noon. But all of these deals that have come in now are, are basically set in stone. So Let's just talk about a few of them, and then I have my craziest number is about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And again, that's the point of this show, right? Everybody's talking about the Bucks. Everybody's talking about Chris Paul and the Suns. Let's talk a little bit about the Thunder and how and how they're winning out of this situation despite giving up Chris Paul. But let's start for the Bucks because let's start with the Bucks because even though he's not a free agent this year, it seems like the most important player. This offseason is Giannis Antetokounmpo because if the Bucks didn't go out and get some 
good players that will reverse their curse in the postseason to keep Giannis to sign the Supermax contract, there would have been no question in my mind that Giannis Antetokounmpo would have walked next year. And Milwaukee needs him to stay. So what did they do? They went out and made it much harder for Antetokounmpo to leave. And they did that by getting Drew Holiday, who spent the last seven years in New Orleans, and they sent Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, three future firsts, and two draft swaps to get the two-time all-defensive team player. So, like, initial thoughts when you heard this, what did you think? Because I, for one, thought it was something the Bucks needed to do, but oh my God, that draft, that draft compensation was almost as much as what Anthony Davis got. Yes. No, I, I agree. So, I think it is a massive price to pay but I think their hands were tied and they don't have a choice because everything, and I mean everything that Milwaukee does, has to revolve around getting Giannis to sign that Supermax mm-hmm. for the five years, $228 million. And the only, this is this is what they had to do. They needed to add more guard depth. Eric Bledsoe's let them down in the postseason in the last couple of years. So I understand swapping him. Like you said, they get Drew Holiday, who is a great two-way player. Um, that's going to give them some defensive toughness. Also does a really solid job at, at running that offense. Uh, and for New Orleans, I, I think they're pretty happy yeah. <laughs> with the compensation that that they get back. I really like what David Griffin is doing with New Orleans. I know they get a ton of attention because of the Zion factor, but it really is more than that. I'll be very surprised if Brandon Ingram leaves being a restricted free agent. I think they'll pretty much match whatever offer goes out there for them. Um, so f- for Milwaukee... As painful as that compensation is, it listen, if, if Giannis signs, and I think after the two deals they made, he will sign, that it, it's worth it. It's yeah. just, it's worth it. Now, if Giannis doesn't sign, it's an absolute failure, and this franchise is doomed. Yeah. Quickly, <laughs> we, go ahead, finish. No, no, go for it. I was just going to say quickly, they also, the Bucks yes. received Bogdan Bogdanovich and Justin James for Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, and Ersan Ilsai Bova. That's all their assets, by the way. It's They have cleared That's out <laughs> all of their tradable assets in these two deals. And all so, their bench depth. Yes. No, it is. They Listen, when it, what they're looking at is that this is not this is not a regular season move. We all know the Bucks are going to the playoffs. We all know they're going to be one of the higher seeds. This is for the postseason, and they're going to rely on their starters to get them there. Yeah. So they, they were able to clear out their bench depth. But the risk here is, as we just said, that is it for their movable assets. They have moved their draft pick compensation. They have moved their most valuable, you know, bench player or, you know, young asset was Dante DiVincenzo. Mm-hmm. And they, they've now moved him to Sacramento. Now, I am actually a pretty big fan of Bogdan Bogdanovich. I think he's going to give Milwaukee actually a lot of what they need. Because again, as we've talked about it a million times today, it's the three-point yeah. potential that, that he brings to them. Now it's more than just Chris Middleton, because remember, Giannis not a great three-point shooter. Um, you, Middleton is a good three-point shooter, but now you add another weapon. Brooke Lopez can go out and shoot a three. So I do really like what that's going to do for spacing, and it might even help Giannis, because it'll have teams have to be you know, a little more conscious of being out on the wings. But they move their chips to the center of the table. This is it. Really They're all in. That top five... Is, is one of the best in the league at this point. Absolutely. Holiday, Bogdanovich, Antetokounmpo, Middleton, Lopez. Lopez. Yeah. yeah. And again, they, they were able to do it without much bench depth anyway. But now all eyes are going to be on the postseason because that is just 
the one hill they can't overcome. But again, I, I actually, I think the same thing you do. I think bottom line, it didn't really matter what it cost because no, they had no. to do it for Giannis. The, they, 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 they have no choice here. Yeah. Everything this franchise has to do revolves around Giannis. And this was the year it had to happen. It's and, so it, it just, I, I get it from the Bucks perspective. And that's why I actually like it from the Bucks. I think it's a win-win for, for all the teams. teams. come out with what they want. The, the it, Pelicans exactly. want this young core. Bledsoe and George Hill are, are, you know, average players, average to slightly above average players. And the Buck get the ball handler in Drew Holiday. I do think this has to bode well for Bucks fans a little bit that there had to be some inkling from Giannis that this might keep him there. Because I think he signs now. I it's do. It's the classic high risk, high reward. If this is what it took to keep Giannis in Milwaukee, then who cares about a 20, 2025 exactly. first round pick? And that's what seems to be, I mean, Bucks fans, Ty Windish especially. Who cares about a 2025 pick if they're going to go out and win the championship next year? And they're going to keep Giannis for five more years. So I think, I mean, it, you see it with the just these players and Harden taking, taking control of the organization, and that situation is potentially more toxic. But... I think Giannis definitely was able to say, okay, this looks pretty good. I think I'll probably stay here with Holiday and Bogdanovich now. I, I, I agree. And just to, to sum it up, I think I can do it in one line from, uh, from Casey Stern's really good um, MLB broadcaster. Prospects are cool. Parades are cooler. You make, <laughs> you make that move, you try to win, and you go all in. Yeah. I, I'll leave it there because that's exactly what it is. Quickly... The Lakers received Dennis Schroeder. They send Danny Green and the number 28 pick in this year's draft. I think it just gives the Lakers, you know, m- more of that bench depth. Danny that Green one's all about flexibility, like you said. in the postseason, yeah. Um, Houston, I want to focus on them just a little bit before I get to my number. So the trade they have done is they sent Robert Covington to Portland. They get Trevor Ariza and two picks in 2021 and 2020. Um this to me just signaled the rebuild so the biggest thing circling houston first it was russell westbrook who wants out now it's james harden he literally turned down a hundred million dollar contract because he does not want to be in houston and the crumbling situation that he is there i i I just houston has lost so many picks in the past three years anyway i do think it's a little bogus that they brought russ in for a season for them Harden to be like, eh, don't think I want to be here anymore. Houston doesn't really have a choice at this point. If Westbrook and Harden are going to leave, what else are they going to do? I think they ship everybody out. And I think they're going to try to rebuild that relationship with James Harden. But I think he has his mind pretty set at this point that he wants to leave. And the Nets are his top suitor. I just don't think the Nets can put together a package that will be good enough in Houston's eyes for top five player in the league. Yeah, it's for for Houston. It's it was a massive miscalculation bringing in Westbrook, and and that reason Daryl Morey's out, Mike D'Antoni is, is gone as well. Uh, so I do think it's time to just hit the rebuild button. Uh, Westbrook, I do think they're going to deal him. I think they'd be smart to deal him 
to just to get out from under that contract and kind of start again. Harden's the more interesting one because they absolutely do not have to trade James Harden. Um, I do think that Brooklyn is is a possibility. They do have some assets that are that are really you know intriguing. It's the the draft pick compensation is probably not going to be great, so they're going to have to go with more of their younger players, which you know Sean Marks and Brooklyn is not going to want to do. I mean, looking at Karis Levert, looking at Spencer Dinwiddie, looking at Jared Allen. But those are key players for Brooklyn, and it feels like if they're going to get James Harden, they're going to have to move at least two of them, if not three of them, and I'm not sure they're going to be willing to do that. Um, but I do think it's time that Houston goes full rebuild at this point. Listen, you've got a new GM, you've got a new coach, just it, it didn't work. Let's, let's try this thing again. Yeah, I agree, and it'll just be which big three is, is Harden going to join. A lot of Celtics rumors last night that came out that uh. Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown or Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward could be shipped out and Harden could come to Boston. But I mean, it's all speculation at this point. It's just going to be what the package is. And if Drew Holiday set the standard of what was it? (laughs) Five picks and two average players, then God, what is Harden going to get? Yeah, it's like I said, it's really interesting because yes, it's a new general manager than when the Nets did the uh, did the deal with Boston that set Boston up for a decade with the the Garnett and Pierce one. But does that franchise have the stomach to do it again and trade all of their assets and really hamstring themselves for the potential to win a championship and possibly multiple championships? I think this deal makes a ton. Listen, the we could talk about it forever. The Garnett Pierce trade never made any sense Mm -hmm. for for Brooklyn, but so if this this deal makes a lot more sense if they are going to use those type of assets but we'll we'll see if the nets will be able to pull that off your statement just set me up perfectly for my number talk about strapping teams for dominance for the next decade i want to talk about the oklahoma city thunder and the craziest number i heard this week is 16 because that is how many first round picks the Thunder have between now and 2026. It feels like that should be a typo. Like it's It's, just, it's that insane. It's that insane. So Chris Paul's traded, uh, Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, and Jalen Leck, a 2022 first rounder in exchange for Paul, who is a 10 time all-star and Abdul Nadir. So we could talk about Chris Paul and how much value he brings to this Phoenix organization coming off their momentum in the bubble where they went 8-0, Devin Booker, Monty Williams, and Chris Paul are reunited when they played a year together back in 2010. Hopefully DeAndre Ayton takes a step up. Mikel Bridges on defense. I think Phoenix becomes a legitimate threat in the West now because of this Chris Paul deal. I love Phoenix. More importantly, the Thunder have prepared themselves for dominance in the future. So again, they're not even wasting all these picks on this mediocre draft this year. They've now turned the the draft overhaul from Russell Westbrook, which resulted in three future firsts, two picks, a bunch of young players, and then now the Chris Paul, which is a first round, you know, three first rounders from now until 2026. So the fact that they were able to pull this off relatively quietly again everyone's talking about chris paul and i think him and phoenix is an absolutely perfect move but the thunder in five years maybe three years six years 
they're going to have so many young players. It's kind of like the Pelicans. The Pelicans and the Thunder are just going to alternate back and forth for the next four years. They're going to be the only two teams picking in the draft. Because <laughs> that's what they've done. And I think that is so important. They have, they don't really have any assets to go out and win now. Chris Paul, I mean, the fact that he was able to bring them to a, a, the five seed this year in the playoffs was pretty impressive. They're not going to do that again next year. They're not going to do it again the year after that. But when they have those first rounders coming into the league, that that's pretty scary. Sixteen first round picks. Yeah, that that's crazy. So we just talk about you know the prospects are cool, parades are cooler. Well, here's the opposite view of it. <laughs> Here here's a franchise that's really going to value those young players, try to build off of young controllable assets. I mean, looking at their roster, I don't think they have too many pieces really in place right now. I mean, Gallinari is an unrestricted free agent. Rubio, I would not be surprised if they flipped at some point during the season. Um, I mean, Stephen Adams is probably their their is their oldest player that you would say they're kind of building around at 27 years old otherwise you know you look at i mean their star is gilgis alexander who's only 22 so that's someone that they're going to try to build around in the future i think um that lakay that they just picked up is um is an intriguing prospect was really good in the g league um and so we'll, we'll see if he if they're they're probably going to play him just because why not at this point you know play those younger guys or the q excuse me um, to, to give him some experience, you know, you've got Amadou Diallo out of, out of Kentucky, like the Ty Jerome going in that deal, like they're going with the young guys yeah. and they're, they're fine waiting a little bit and building for the future. And like you said, they, they control the draft. So the interesting thing is that once they have their pieces in place, they have so many assets that they can go out and acquire whoever they want right. when they're Just, ready to compete. Yes. So I don't even think you, you're not going to see them pick 16 guys you know over the next however many years they have draft picks they're going to go out and trade some of that draft capital and pick up players that they want so as i said this is not about this year for them this hell this might not even be about next year for them but when the time comes they're going to have the ability to either a pick young guys and be able to groom them or b go out and acquire whoever they want yeah it's such a smart practical way to build a franchise from the executive level because you don't have to worry about i mean again they could be so bad next year they could get another lottery pick too that's probably what will end up happening but they have that young core they can throw guys out there to get some time under their belt and it's just it's so smart to me to prepare yourself for the future like oklahoma city has done it just it seems it seems genius and having that many options just leaves you so many avenues to go down so that again five years down the road they're competing they can send some of those top picks for a really a high impact player at the trade deadline definitely completely agree yeah again i mean we didn't even the the baseball hall of fame came out baseball hall of fame ballot excuse me came out yesterday brought uh Clemens Schilling Bonds. Yeah, year? not not the most enthralling ballot this <laughs> no. year. I, I will say that the new when Nick Swisher's on the ballot, um, there it's just not the it's not the greatest ballot no, in the world. Like I know. <laughs> no, you're right though. But but there are so many different things we didn't even talk about the NFL. But we have. I think we've decided that next week we're going to do all basketball, college basketball, NBA draft. 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we'll have NBA free agency. We'll be a frenzy this weekend. Uh, college basketball starts up next Wednesday. Cannot wait. Um, so we, we listen, we've got stuff to talk about. It's a packed time right now, which is really exciting for us. Yeah. Make sure to follow on Instagram, Twitter, at Did You Hear Pod. Download on Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to check us out there. And thanks again for tuning in. We really appreciate all of the support. And we're so excited to bring you episode four next week.